freedom ring this afternoon at 2 with Sean Hannity. Right before Joe Walsh at 5 on AM 560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. 14,000 jobs being cut at GM. Five factories being shut down and uh, Trump none too happy about it. Saying uh, this yesterday before the press corps and before he jetted off to uh, gyrate his hips in Tupelo. I spoke with her when I heard they were closing and I said, you know, this country's done a lot for General Motors. You better get back in there soon. That's Ohio. And you better get back in there soon. So we have a lot of pressure on them. You have senators, you have a lot of other people, a lot of pressure. They say the uh, Chevy Cruze is not selling well. I say, well, then get somebody, get a car that is selling well and put it back in. So I think you're going to see something else happen there, but I'm not happy about it. Their car is not selling well, so they'll put something else. I have no doubt that in a not-too-distant future, they'll put something else. They better put something else in. He also told... Sounds like a threat to me. Yeah, he also told her, uh, CEO Mary Barra, uh, that uh, she doesn't know who she's messing with with respect to the president. Hmm. Sort of uncomfortable for the president to be attempting to dictate terms to a private American company uh, with respect to facilities, product lines, employment, really any matter. Uh, And yes, as we've talked about this before, it was also distressing to me when GM was bailed out by taxpayers. I don't support mercantilism on either side of the equation, Uh, but certainly the billion dollars in cost that was added to GM's bottom line by the steel tariffs over the summer, as per GM's CFO at the time, said in July, that doesn't help any when you are trying to make the math work at a, at a multinational uh, American corporation like GM. For more on this topic and others, we're pleased to be joined by Steve Cortez, CNN political commentator and a former head of Trump's Hispanic Advisory Council. Steve, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for having me. What about uh, Trump's saber-rattling over the GM announcement? Yeah, listen, I don't like uh, the specific targeting of companies. I certainly agree with you. I don't like industrial policy in general. Uh, I think that, that government should create conditions for firms to thrive, singling out individual companies like, for instance, the way he did with Harley-Davidson. Uh, I think that's unfortunate. I, uh, I don't like it. GM is a different scenario because the taxpayer did bail out GM. So I do think that there's a different uh, responsibility. There's, a, there's an additional onus on General Motors. But in general, look, I, I do love that the president fights for American workers, and I get that, and I love that spirit. Uh, but I, I'm definitely more libertarian than is the president, and I'm on the, the libertarian end of sort of the Trump movement. Uh, and I, again, I just want to create conditions in America, uh, sensible regulation, uh, low and restrained taxation that will encourage American companies to do the right thing and to produce and thrive here in America. I don't want to single out specific companies for praise uh, or for criticism. Well, do you think it's the terrorists or the fact that people aren't buying the Chevy Cruze, the Cadillac, the Buick LaCrosse? The Chevy uh, Vault, is that a possibility because they, they're le- leaning more towards SUVs and pickup trucks, right. things like that? It seems to me that it's the latter. And look, I'm no expert at all on the auto market. Uh, but I do know this, that the auto market made essentially bets, multi-year bets on oil prices remaining very high uh, for a very long time. You know, As long as a decade ago, started making those kinds of bets in terms of their designs and their factories. And that hasn't happened, thankfully, 
mainly because of American fracking, uh, which succeeded and thrived in spite of the government, by the way, not because the government made it easy for frackers uh, and for hydraulics to revolutionize energy in America. As a matter of fact, government made it hard, but thank goodness American innovation, as it often is, uh, was so dynamic and so successful that we've actually had sustained you know, pretty low oil prices, notwithstanding this summer where they did you know, spike some. They've actually crashed in recent weeks. Uh, but on the whole, uh, the great news is oil prices, particularly adjusted for inflation, uh, have remained quite low. And because of that, it's one of the reasons that, look, Americans love big cars anyway. We like big everything, right? Um, but big cars have been reasonably affordable because oil has been reasonably affordable. So, uh, I mean, all of these things are multivariate equations, but you add a billion dollars to anybody's bottom line in terms of cost, and you're going to change their decision-making, perhaps expediting sure. their decision-making. And so given that, uh, again, the issue of Trump continuing to suggest that more tariffs will be imposed on Chinese goods if there's not an agreement with President Xi in the near term, and it certainly is unlikely that uh, something will quickly come together at the G20. So we're talking about probably first quarter of next year at the best. And doesn't he risk really uh, slowing down economic growth and uh, limiting one of his favorite talking points about how well the economy is doing if he doesn't remedy the, the, the relationship with our trading partners, frankly? Right. No, listen, I think we do jeopardize near-term growth. Now, I think it's for long-term prosperity. And I think it's extremely important that we achieve symmetry in our trade relationship with China, with a lot of countries, but China by far is the most egregious example of where the United States has been totally abused and American workers have been taken advantage of by both U.S. multinationals uh, and by the Chinese who, who benefit from the current um, incredibly unfair imbalance relationship. So the way I view tariffs is, look, they're a terrible thing. It, it's sort of tariffs, though, to economic policy are, to me, what military action is to diplomacy. We never like military action. Nobody wins. It's expensive. It's costly. It's dangerous. In economic terms, you know, all of that's true of, of tariffs. Uh, but if we try to negotiate particularly with dishonest actors like the Chinese and, and take tariffs off the table, take the punitive part off the table, we're never going to get anywhere, and we're going to continue doing what we've done for a quarter century, which is essentially export American wealth, particularly from the people who can least afford to suffer, working-class Americans, uh, to China. So I think, unfortunately, the reality of tariffs is that while they are costly and while they do damage uh, specific companies and industries like autos, uh, long-term, I think the threat of tariffs has to be real uh, for us to get uh, to the place we need to be in terms of actual fair and free trade, which we just simply don't have. Something China. else we haven't tried in 25 years or in, I don't know, 225 years is being unilaterally free trade and taking the position that if Chinese, if the Chinese want to hurt their people, we're not going to respond by hurting our people. We're going to let them hurt their people and we're going to derive the benefit of it by being a zero tariff environment, uh, which is a wealth creation because you've just reduced taxes on uh on on uh, well you've reduced the, the you've increased the purchasing power and thus the ability for uh the creature comforts the availability of them for the american people so what, what about taking that approach which we've never taken rather than phony baloney trade deals like nafta where you take 1200 pages to say free trade right well, yeah, listen, and I think that's an important point. We, we don't have free trade with anybody. When, you, when media talks about the free trade crowd, uh, we have very managed trade, uh, and that's just the reality. I would argue it's been managed, and certainly the president would argue it's been managed uh, very much against American interests, or at least the interests of American workers. Here's the thing. In theory, I agree with you, Dan, that unilateral free trade does make sense very long term. Uh, but in the near term, 
the dislocation to American workers is so severe and the societal ramifications are so severe uh, that I'm not sure it's worth the risk of trying that, even though, I, again, I agree, actually, long term, we'd be a more prosperous country if we went unilaterally free trade. But does that mean that we can stand uh, over the next, say, five years or so? Uh, the dislocation of perhaps millions of American workers who presently make good living do not be able to make well, why, why would because that? Well, until China falls on its face, which it will, uh, well, it can absolutely undercut, because they're not worried about profits, it can undercut a lot of competitors in America. If you believe capital flows to the areas where it's treated the best, why wouldn't more capital flow to the lowest tax environment available, which would be a zero-tariff free trade America? Uh, it will eventually, but again, because the Chinese part of that equation, because they're not motivated by profit, they have you know many motivations. Profit's only part of it. Uh, they will be able to undercut American industries uh, for considerable periods of time. And you know, I, by the way, I think this is largely what's happening. I mean, it, the Chinese experiment, I think, is already starting to fail. Uh, certainly, financial markets believe that right now. Uh, Chinese stocks and Chinese debt and so forth, you know, trades miserably. So I think the Chinese experiment is failing slowly but surely. However, that doesn't mean that in the meantime, they weren't able to cause enormous pain uh, to American industries and to American workers. And again, to the people who can afford it the least, uh, working class, blue collar people. So, you know, again, there's, a, there's an important reality here uh, that doesn't necessarily um, uh, jive with long term economic prosperity. And again, I agree that long term will be a more prosperous country if we're unilaterally free trade. But it's, it's also important to note that you know, the U.S. is not a company. We're not only interested in the maximum return on investment. There are a lot of other considerations to a country, uh, to making a country prosperous and safe. It's not only about maximum economic output. And I would argue that one of those considerations is, uh, is facilitating and trying to encourage uh, working class people being able to make a reasonable living uh, without very sophisticated skills. I think that's important for a society. It's important for our cohesion. And speaking of the, the stock market, GM stock was up yesterday a few percentage points because of that. Uh, does that surprise you at all? No, you know, and that's the unfortunate reality. A lot of times, you know, listen, I've worked in financial markets for a long time. Shareholders like cutting workers. I mean, that's just a sad reality you know, because often uh, companies, when they cut workers, they're just they're getting more efficient uh, and, you know, better use of robotics or, you know, shifting those jobs to somewhere cheaper. So, unfortunately, what's bad news often for workers is good news uh, for shareholders, and so I'm, I'm not terribly surprised, you know, that that was the reaction. Um, but I do also think it, it will be interesting. You know, clearly the president has GM in his, in his crosshairs right now, and you know he does have a lot of sway. You know, both the bully pulpit and actual policy. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with GM. My guess would be they're going to, you know, in coming weeks and months, make some pretty public moves to show that they're investing in the United States. And again, I don't like targeting companies for, for praise or for criticism. I, I think it's a bad idea. Uh, but I do also like the fighting spirit that the president is at least showing American workers that he, you know, he truly cares about their well-being and that this was a really disappointing for, for them, an incredibly disappointing piece of news. And right in front of Christmas, you know, on top of that. Uh, for, for a domestic dispute, dispute like this between the president and GM, one of the four generals that governed America once upon a time, uh, do you think the best person to resolve this dispute, to adjudicate it, would be uh, Chicago's very own, uh, by way of Cincinnati, Jerry Springer, who is uh, launching a Judge Jerry uh, program this really? fall. Yeah, Judge Jerry. Uh, gonna be Judge just... Judy's going to be retired soon. Well, sure. Judge Jerry should be retired soon. He's like 75 years old. But, hey, uh, NBC Universal distributing it, uh, Judge Jerry show, fall of uh, 2019. Um, maybe he can 
maybe Trump and GM Mary Barra can take their dispute to Judge Jerry and we could adjudicate it there because that's sort of where we're at when it comes to this culture, isn't it? Hey, Trump loves reality TV, as we well know. Uh, so he would do fine there. I would hope nobody actually calls Jerry Springer your honor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's is true. Yes, that's true. Uh, Steve, I wanted to get your uh, a piece that you wrote about uh, Park Forest. Uh, this uh, has become a national story. It's picked up by James Freeman, the Wall Street Journal. We discussed a little bit earlier in the show, the $400,000 superintendent in uh, Park Forest and just what that says about Illinois and why Illinois is in the place it's in. Right. And listen, this might be the most egregious example, but as you well know, Dan, this is not the only example by any stretch. Of, uh, of public employees absolutely fleecing taxpayers you know, to an almost unembarrassable level. I grew up in Park Forest, my hometown. Uh, it was a modest working-class place in those days and, and still is, but one that's struggling, quite frankly. The average home value in Park Forest is $75,000. Average household income is $44,000. And in that kind of a city of modest means, um, uh, I think it's important <laughs> to name her, Joyce Carmine, the superintendent, earned this year for part-time work $420,000. She will earn $300,000 in retirement for the rest of her life. Um, this, to me, is unconscionable. You know, if, if a place like Beverly Hills, for instance, or, you know, say Winnetka, you're a very wealthy town, if they want to pay their superintendent that kind of money, so be it. I mean, I think it's probably wasteful, but fine. It's at least, you know, commensurate with the economic means of the people served. Uh, it, it is the exact opposite in the places that I cite in my article. I specifically fight, uh, cite Park Forest, my hometown, and then nearby Fort Heights, which is actually an incredibly impoverished town. Superintendent of Fort Heights, who oversees one of the smallest uh, school districts in the state, only a little over 400 students, uh, earns $340,000 oh a year. I mean, imagine almost $1,000 per student supervised in his school district. I mean, uh. it's unconscionable, but unfortunately it's emblematic of what is, is bankrupting this state. That is so sad. I mean, I'm left shaking my head. I mean, for Fort Heights, do they have to live in district though? Because if they do, they better have the biggest mansion. No, there's no the residency town. requirement for superintendents. Oh, but I'm I sure, mean, yeah, they probably what, live in Burr Ridge. I mean, what do you, what do you do at this? I mean, Steve, you're a Chicago denizen. What, what do you do at this point, really, other than sigh? Because we're just uh, hell bent on uh, uh, running, screaming off the cliff collectively here in Illinois. Yeah, no, honestly, I, I wish I could tell you here's the way out <clears throat> because uh, I don't see it. You know, ma math is math, and it's pretty hard to, uh, to fight the math uh, at this point. And uh, the only thing that could save Illinois at this point would be incredible growth. Uh, but we're doing the exact opposite in terms of policy, right? We're going toward ever more regulation, higher taxation, um, you know, allowing or tolerating more corruption, all the things that are anti-growth. Um, let's face it, you know, I, I say this in the article, we're America's Greece. Uh, we really are economically. Unfortunately, we don't have the sunshine and the ouzo and the islands. Uh, <laughs> well, we, you know, we do have a blue island. We, got uh, the, we don't have the islands. We got the ouzo in Greece. Greek town, though. We got the, we could go That's to Greek town for the ouzo for now. You could ride the Ferris wheel and maybe right. here. He is Steve Cortez, CNN political commentator and Trump Hispanic Advisory Council head. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You bet. Have a great day. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro 